Amen. Please be seated. And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning, though our focus is going to be just on verses 1 through 4. And we'll cover 5 through 7 next Sunday, Lord willing. This is a famous section in this letter on the subject of government, human government. And one of the ways we live out the gospel, which is what Paul's been focusing on in this part of the letter, is by relating properly to the governing authorities that God has placed over us. One of the ways we live peaceably with all, as we heard at the end of chapter 12, is by being subject to the civil government. As Christians, we should be good citizens. As followers of Christ, we should be followers of the law. We should glorify God by being subject to the government God himself has sovereignly placed over us. Our citizenship is in heaven, as it says in Philippians 3.20, wonderful verse. And yet we have a dual citizenship. Our heavenly citizenship is primary, no doubt, but it doesn't cancel out our earthly citizenship. We want to know, of course, how to glorify God in relation to the earthly rulers we are under. And in these well-known verses, God tells us how to do that. He tells us how to be a Christian citizen. We're told specifically to submit to the God-appointed government by paying them taxes and respect. And of course, we do that ultimately for the glory of the king of kings. That's the message of these verses. Submit to the God-appointed government by paying them taxes and respect for the glory of the king of kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and then we'll look at these verses together. Our God, as we come again to your word this morning, we pray that you would help us, help us simply to pay attention to your word, help us by opening our understanding to the meaning of your word, help us by giving us humility and teachability to receive your word and empower us by your spirit to apply that word to our hearts and to our lives. We want to be good citizens as Christians. Help us to learn more of what that looks like. We pray in the name of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, amen. Romans chapter 13, reading verses one through seven though we'll stop at verse four in terms of this sermon this morning. This is the word of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, 
for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to move through four key points that Paul makes here in these verses, and we'll do that over the next two weeks. In verses one and two, he tells us to submit to the God-appointed government. In verses three and four, he tells us to remember the government's job. Those two points are what we'll cover today. And then in verse five, he tells us to submit to the government because of wrath and conscience. Finally, six and seven, he tells us to pay the government taxes and respect, and we'll look at those last two next week, Lord willing. And again, we'll see that as Christian citizens, we're told to submit to the God-appointed government by paying them taxes and respect for the glory of the King of Kings. So number one there, submit to the God-appointed government. That's what Paul says in verses one and two. We'll begin by noting two things in verse one. The call to submit to the government and a reminder about the source of government. The call to submit to the government is very clear, very straightforward. Paul says there in verse one, rereading verse one, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So no one's exempt from this. We're we're all in this. Uh, This applies to everyone. It's like gravity, Everyone's under the law of gravity. It applies to everyone. There are no exceptions. Uh, This is something that is applicable to all. It applies to Christians and to non-Christians. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to non-Christians. And just because we are Christians and citizens of heaven does not mean we're exempt from earthly laws and rulers. It applies to all. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We're to be subject to them. We're to submit to them. We're to obey them. We're to follow them as far as we can while still following Christ, who, of course, is our highest authority. Titus chapter three, verse one says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. First Peter two, 13 and 14 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And at the end of that paragraph, 1 Peter two seventeen, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, Paul tells us here in the first part of verse one. The governing authorities, of course, refers to the government. So in our case, the federal government and the state government and local government, federal laws, state laws, local laws, the police who enforce them, the civil authorities, the governing authorities that we are under. Of course, we have other kinds of authorities in our lives. We have authorities in the family. We have authorities here in church, we have authorities in the workplace, 
but the focus here is on authorities in the government, on governing authorities. But as we look at this first sentence, we might wonder a few things. What if those governing authorities are secular and not Christian? And what if those governing authorities are immoral and not moral? Well, I think the words of Jesus are helpful. In Mark 12, verse 17, he said famously, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And that's helpful because Caesar was secular. Caesar was immoral. And yet Jesus said to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, which in context actually meant to pay taxes to Caesar. Caesar was not a Christian, he was a pagan. Rome was a secular state and a notably ungodly state at that. They killed Jesus, after all. And yet Jesus himself and Peter and Paul all tell their listeners to be subject to Rome, to render to Caesar what is his, to pay him taxes and respect and honor as the God-appointed governing authority. So in our day, even if you are on the opposite side of the aisle politically from a governing authority, even if a governing authority is morally depraved in their character, we're to submit to them so long as it doesn't prevent us from submitting to King Jesus. That's the call to submit to the government in the first half of verse one. Then we find in the second half a reminder about the source of government. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. God is the source of government. We are to submit to the God-appointed government. There is no authority except from God. The authority of the government is a derived authority. As we learn from the exchange between Jesus and Pilate in John 19, verses 10 and 11, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So the authority of the government comes from God. Like the moon gets its light from the sun, government gets its authority from God. And those that, have, that exist have been instituted by God. The governing authorities we are called to submit to, they've been instituted by God, they've been ordained by God, they've been appointed by God. We may get to elect our rulers in this country, but God foreordains them. Daniel 2, 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Daniel four seventeen, the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So we're to submit to the government because of the source of the government. We're to submit to the government because it's a God-appointed government. And I think it helps to know that. 
because it's hard to submit to the governing authorities at times, isn't it? But to know that behind and above and over those governing authorities stands our sovereign God, that helps us to be subject to them, to be subject to the governing authorities he's placed over us. And we're to do it for the sake of God, for the glory of Christ. That's, I think, implicit here in Romans 13 and explicit in 1 Peter 2. Again, 1 Peter 2.13 says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, emperor, governors, etc. We're to do it for the Lord's sake. We're to submit to the secondary authority for the sake of the primary authority. We're to do it for King Jesus. To be subject to the earthly king for the glory of the king of kings. And I think remembering who we're doing it for and of course whose strength we do it in helps us as we seek to submit to the God-appointed government. Continuing under our first main point here, submit to the God-appointed government, Paul draws a conclusion in verse two from what he's just said about the fact that the governing authorities have been instituted by God. He says in verse two, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Notice Paul is saying two things here. Number one, if you resist the government, you're resisting what God has appointed. And then number two, in the second half of the sentence, if you resist the government, you will incur the judgment of the government. Let's think about each of those briefly. First, if you resist the government, you're resisting what God has appointed. Uh, Of course, in a second, we're going to think together about times we should resist the government because in certain situations, to obey them would actually be to disobey God. But first, I think we really need to let these words sink in, not to go so quickly to the exception that we overlook the rule. And I think the word, therefore, helps us with that. Therefore, that is because the authorities that exist have been instituted by God, therefore whoever resists them resists what God has appointed. I think we need to digest those words, let them sink into our bloodstream, sink into our very bones as believers because Christianity is not anarchy. God has appointed kings and lords to rule over us. Under him, of course, the king of kings, lord of lords. But we need to take that seriously. Christ has set us free from the rule of Satan. But that does not mean we're free from the rule of the state. We are to submit to and not resist the God-appointed government. And once we've digested that into our bloodstream, into our bones... Then we can say, except if the government tells us to sin. We've seen that recently in the book of Daniel on Sunday evenings. Daniel and his friends were law-abiding citizens of Babylon. Law-abiding captives, really, of Babylon. Except for when they were told to worship the golden image. Except for when they were told not to pray. To the Lord. 
Then they respectfully disobeyed the governing authorities in Babylon and obeyed the higher authority, God himself. And there are other examples of such civil disobedience in the Bible. Think of the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1 or Esther going to the king even though it was against the law or the apostles' famous words before the council in Acts 5 after the council had told them not to speak to people about Jesus and they said, we must obey God rather than men. By which they did not mean that we should never obey men, but rather that we should obey God rather than men when men tell us to disobey God. And the principle that we glean from all those examples, together with passages like Romans 13 or 1 Peter 2, is that we should submit to the God-appointed authorities unless they forbid what God commands or command what God forbids unless they forbid us from doing what God commands us to do or they command us to do what God forbids us to do. Then we should respectfully disobey the lower authority so that we can obey the higher authority. We should be like a soldier whose instinct is to obey orders from his commanding officer. But since our highest obligation as a soldier is to the law and not to our commanding officer, if our commanding officer orders us to do something that is against the law, say to kill innocent civilians who are unarmed, non-combatants, then we must respectfully disobey that unlawful order. Disobedience toward the governing authorities, of course, shouldn't be our default mode It's not that we should be characterized by that or known for that. The norm should be obedience, just like for that soldier, the norm should be to obey orders from his commanding officer. Our instinct should be obedience toward the God-appointed government, leaving space, the right amount of space for the biblical category of civil disobedience. So that's the first thing Paul says here in verse two. If you resist the government, you're resisting what God has appointed. The second thing he says, if you resist the government, you'll incur the judgment of the government. Uh, That actually pulls us over into the next verse, which we'll look at under our second main point now. So main point number two, remember the government's job. That's what Paul talks about in the next two verses. So we're to submit to the God-appointed government because it's God-appointed And if we don't, we're resisting what God appointed and we'll incur judgment for or because it's the government's job to judge us for resisting. It's not the only job of the government, but it's a key one and the one emphasized here. Let's focus on that together in verses three and four. Let's note first what Paul says about bad conduct in verse three bad conduct for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad the job of rulers is to punish bad conduct conduct that is bad for society the job of the government is to maintain law and order so that there's not anarchy and chaos 
The job of the government is to administer justice and keep the peace so that our society is not like the Wild West. Government is the sheriff in town. And bad conduct is the gunslinging outlaw. And the job of the sheriff is to bring that outlaw to justice. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And I think as we read that, we can be thankful for our rulers as they carry out this aspect of their work and pray for them as they do this work. So if we resist the government, we'll incur the judgment of the government for or because it's the government's job to judge those who resist. It's the government's job to be a terror, not to good conduct, but to bad. Paul goes on to talk about how to have no fear. In the rest of verse three and into verse four, he says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. If you do what is good, you should have no fear of the government, ordinarily. If you do what is bad, you should be afraid, which is what Paul will talk about next. The governing authorities are God's servants for our good. So again, they are an authority. They are a rightful authority but they're under God, they're God's servants. They're not the ultimate authority, they're approximate authority. They're not the primary authority, they're a secondary authority. They are God's servants for our good. Now of course we all know governments can do bad things, like killing the Son of God incarnate, or martyring apostles. But Paul's talking here about what governments are meant to do as servants of God and what even the Roman government generally did in the providence of God. 1 Peter 2, again, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Government is God's servant for our good. The other side of the coin is in the rest of verse four about the sword. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. If you do wrong, you should be afraid because the government bears the sword That is, they have the authority to use force. They have the judicial authority to impose sentence, including the death sentence for capital crimes based on Genesis 9, verse six. And they don't bear that sword in vain. They're not like a statue in a museum holding a sword. They're like a warrior in battle holding a sword, wielding it. They bear the sword and they also use the sword and therefore if you do wrong you should be afraid. I don't imagine bad guys sleep very well at night. Their conscience probably keeps them awake. They should be afraid because the government does not bear the sword in vain and they should be even more afraid of the judgment of God. 
Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And they should repent and believe in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Notice again this language of the government being the servant of God. But notice also how it describes the government at the end of verse four as an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's pretty striking language, especially in light of what we read at the end of chapter 12 recently. In verse 19 of chapter 12, we read, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So vengeance is the Lord's, and yet the civil authority is the Lord's avenger. We are not to avenge ourselves, but to leave it to God's wrath. The government is the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. They do so imperfectly. Sometimes they get the wrong guy, so to speak. Sometimes they punish what is good and praise what is evil. But again, ordinarily, and in terms of what they're ordained to do, The government is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And of course, we need to keep in mind that the wrath of God, as administered by God himself on the day of judgment, will right all wrongs and catch all the bad guys who got away. So we're to remember the government's job. The government's job is to punish bad God bad conduct as God's avenger and therefore we should submit to and not resist the God appointed government just a bit more before we close here first I want to point out to us what our confession of faith says about all this if you'll pull out your hymnal and turn to the back of the hymnal we'll look at chapter 23 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is on page 862, in the back of the hymnal, page 862. So this is not the Bible, this is a summary of the Bible, of the main teachings of the Bible that we agree with and subscribe to in this denomination in terms of what our pastors teach and preach. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, of the civil magistrate, just wanna read a few of the paragraphs in chapter 23 there. I'll read paragraphs one and two and part of paragraph four. So chapter 23, paragraph one says, God, the supreme Lord and king of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. And you can see how they're drawing on Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. Paragraph two, it is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing whereof, as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace, according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth, So, for that end, they may lawfully, now under the New Testament, wage war 
upon just and necessary occasion. Paragraph three is basically about the separation of church and state. You can read that later this afternoon perhaps, but let me read the first part of paragraph four. It is the duty of people to pray for magistrates, to honor their persons, to pay them tribute and other dues, to obey their lawful commands, and to be subject to their authority for conscience sake. Infidelity or difference in religion doth not make void the magistrate's just and legal authority, nor free the people from their due obedience to them. So what is our duty to the government? How can we be Christian citizens? Well, as we've seen in Romans 13, we should submit to the God-appointed government, not resisting them unless they command us to do what God forbids or forbid us to do what God commands. And we should remember their job and do what is good. Practically speaking, as says here in the Confession of Faith, we should pray for them. If you want to jot down a few practical things, that's number one, pray for them. First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So pray for them. Number two, we should honor them. We should honor them. We'll talk more about that next week, but let me just say for now that especially in an age where it's fairly normal to dishonor the governing authorities in terms of how people speak about them, even how we hear them speak about each other. In an age where that's normal, as Christians, we should be refreshingly abnormal in the way that we speak about our rulers, particularly the rulers we disagree with politically or morally. We should honor them as our God-appointed rulers. Third, we should pay them by paying our taxes, which we'll talk more about next week. Fourth, we should obey them. We should obey them so far as it doesn't require us to disobey our highest authority. That's our duty to the God-appointed government, and we'll consider the rest of these verses next Sunday, Lord willing. But as we close this morning, Let's not forget, again, that behind and above and over all these governing authorities stands our sovereign God, stands the King of kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we should submit to earthly rulers for the glory of our heavenly King, who reigns wherever the sun does his successive journeys run, as we're about to sing together, whose kingdom stretches from shore to shore. Blessings abound wherever he reigns as king. The prisoner leaps to lose his chains, the chains of sin. The weary find eternal rest. For what did Jesus say? Come to me, 
all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And all the sons of want or lack are blessed. Jesus meets our every need, especially our need for the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. And so, let every creature rise and bring peculiar honors to our King. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our King and for all those gospel blessings that abound for all who repent of sin and trust in you. We pray for grace to obey these commands in Romans 13 about the governing authorities you've placed over us. May we submit to them as to you, the King of kings, by your grace and for your glory. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take just a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing together.